Good morning. Welcome to Relevant Faith Church this morning. My name is Mike Womer. I am the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith. We're excited that you have worshipped with us today. So we have been in a series entitled Discover Your Story, and we're talking about the dreams that God has given us and visions, and I shared this video last week. I'm going to share it again this week because it is the second part of, of the series that we, the, the message that I started last week. So turn your attention to the screen for just a moment and enjoy this brief video. This has been a disappointing 2007 season for Sonia Richards. Sonia Richards, she will not qualify for the illness for much of 2007. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? Or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a silky sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load. Does it explode? So many years ago, Nike took this Langston Hughes poem and put it to screen. But the words of the poem are powerful when it talks about dreams. And what does a dream deferred look like? So last week we started this, this two-part within a series, series on um, dreams being deferred, and we talked about the fine print of when we serve the Lord and He's given us a dream and given us vision for our life and what happens when it doesn't begin to take place at our expected time or way. And um, there was a statement I shared last week that was shared at our night of worship by Pastor John King, and when he made this statement, it completely did two things to me. It absolutely wrecked me spiritually but at the same time, it gave me words to something that I've been feeling and thinking for the last 15 years, but couldn't quite put the words on it. And he said that God is not at all safe, but that he is always good. And so that moment, when you, if you missed that message, it is crazy. But that moment when he said that, like my spirit jumped like, yes. There is nothing safe about God, but there, he is always, always good. And I think when it comes to the dreams that God has given us, the vision that he has given our hearts and our lives, you have a couple of choices and options as you go through life. You have the option of letting it dry up and decay and become dead, as Langston Hughes said in his poem, or you have the option to allow it to explode. And we oftentimes look at life, look at our vision, look at our dreams for our life, and see that they're not happening, and we begin to be fear, become fearful or begin to doubt or begin to stress out or struggle with the whole life of faith oftentimes. And in the same vein of what I was just saying about God not being safe, I'm thinking I want us to look at what takes place with the, and, and the implications of a statement like God is not safe, but he is always good. And to do that, we're staying right in the same story, in the same chapter of Scripture that we were in last week in Genesis chapter 37, where we are talking about Joseph and talking about his experience. And so we're going to go to verse number 13, and we're going to be from there on for quite a while for the rest of our time together. But in Genesis chapter 37, in verse number 13, Joseph has shared his dream at this point that God gave him with his brothers. And if you remember, it, it, the boldness of that dream was that they had their bales of wheat, their bundles of wheat standing, and they would bow before his. And then he shared another dream about the 11 stars and the sun and the moon, which represented his brothers and ultimately his mother and father and how they would bow to him. He shared that then with his parents, his father. Imagine that. 
Imagine the youngest of your children coming to you and saying that you're going to bow before me. <laughs> if you got kids and your kids said you're going to bow before me, if I could, I'd just punch them in the gut and say, you just bowed before me. Right? Because you don't want to hear something like that. Like, wait a minute. No. What are you, off your rocker? Crazy. But his dad wondered what it might mean. And so we pick it up in chapter 13. The Bible says, when they had been gone for some time, meaning his brothers, Jacob said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Sheshem. Get ready and I will send you to them. Joseph being full of zeal said, I'm ready to go. Verse 14, he says to Joseph, go and see your brothers and the flocks. Go and see that your, how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph traveled to Sheshem from their home in the valley of Hebron. So now it's, it's interesting here. We're going to stop there for just a minute because it's something, it's a couple of important things to really understand and know about this, this situation. Is, um, the, his brothers are receiving him as the tattletale. Anybody grow up with the tattletale? My, my baby sister, three years younger than me, told on me about everything all the time. Not allowed to have food in my room. I have food in my room. Mom, Dad, Michael's got food in his room. For real? And she told on me all the time. Now, we learned that with my mom, I'm a mama's boy, and it was a struggle for my mom to, to, to really discipline her baby boy. My dad didn't really have much of a problem. But my daughter, my daughter, my sister was daddy's girl. So she quite figured out pretty quickly, if I yell daddy and say Michael's doing something, oh, he's going to get it. And so that's kind of how that was. And that's how they see Joseph as the tattletale. So, but here's what you have to realize, and a couple of implications I'm going to make from this. Jacob sent his son Joseph out to the pasture, which was quite a distance of a travel. And one of the things I want you to understand from this is Joseph's father sent him on a journey that was not at all a safe one. When we think about that, when we read something like that, I'm going to send you on this journey. It's, it's not at all, a safe, at all a safe journey. And Joseph is so willing to go, I'm ready, send me. And then the sending would be one of the most difficult things that Joseph would ever experience in his life. Matter of fact, it would be virtually seemingly destructive, this sending that Joseph's father, Jacob, did. The experience he would have would be so difficult, but yet it would be the very experience that would catapult him into the plan and the vision that God has for his life. It's not at all a safe one. It's not at all a safe sending. But sometimes, let me tell you, sometimes you need to be led somewhere that is seemingly unsafe in order to accomplish everything that God has planned for you. Because here's the thing, if the things that God has dreamt for you and the things that God has planned for you, if you can rationalize them in your brain as being possible, and you can put a to-do list together to say, if I do this, 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 and this, for all of our analytical thinkers who like to-do lists, I don't, I set, I got... I've used every single means of to-do lists from handwriting to notes to even apps that organize it for me, and I still don't like them because I'm just not wired that way. But for those of you that are wired with to-do lists, if you can to-do list everything to accomplish the dream that God has for you, let me tell you something. It's likely your dream, not his. Because if you really can rationalize how to accomplish it, it's not from him. It's from you. Because the things that God leads you to are completely unsafe, they're completely unreasonable, and they cannot be even rationalized in our thinking process. And you have to first be okay with that in order to really see God do miraculous things in your life. He can do great things in your life even if you're that rational thinker that has to do list everything. You'll see things, you'll see God do things, but in order to really see miraculous things, you got to have to venture into what's considered to be an unsafe zone. And so we're going to pick up this journey and just what the Father's leading led to. Don't forget Joseph's dream in all this. So keep that in the back of your mind. 
Genesis chapter 37, verse 18 through 28. I'm going to go through a bunch of scripture with you here shortly. So, but I'm hoping that you'll track with me because it's really important for all of this. This is the story. This is the meat. Verse 18, when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We could tell our father a wild animal ate, has eaten him. And then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. There are folks in and around your life that while they may not physically try to kill you, this is their thought process towards you. Whether it's fueled because of jealousy or it's fueled because they just don't like you or whatever it might be. It could be fueled simply because they see someone else accomplishing something while they are accomplishing nothing. And I'm not even saying that in a bad way as far as they're concerned. Because everything that we accomplish and everything that we drive and strive towards is really a mindset of accomplishing through what we go through in life. And so they may not want to experience all those great things because they have a hard enough time getting past themselves and their struggle in life. And so these people, look, there's, there's people who will look at you like Joseph's own brothers that said, we'll see what becomes of his dreams when he's dead. But there's always that one. But when Reuben heard of their scheme in verse 21, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here for the wilderness. So here it looks like, oh, okay, somebody's finally coming to his rescue. But he really just wants to not be guilty of his blood. Just throw him in a hole. Then he will die without our laying a hand on him. See, Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing, which is an interesting also thought that Joseph receives this beautiful robe from his father that, is the, that signified his place of leadership, not even realizing that even God, even his father giving him that robe was an actual confirmation of the prophetic dream that God would then give Joseph. Because the robe was only worn by the person who was seen as the head of the family. So why would he give it to the youngest one if it's something that's seen by the head of the family? And so while the Bible told us that it was, Joseph, it was Jacob's love for Joseph that led him towards giving him that robe, that might well be true in the physical form, but the spiritual is so much greater than the physical, and so God already had a plan for this robe. And so he went on, so it says that they grabbed him, or they, they, they ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing, they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, there was no water in it. Verse 25, then just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and ar aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, Let's sell him to the Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. So it must be okay to not kill and just sell. In their mindset, again, the thinking that's taking place here. Verse 27, so he goes on and said, instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders because he's our brother. Verse 28, so when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. There's an interesting correlation that takes place in this passage of Scripture that would take place in the New Testament as well. If you, anybody, for the, those that study Scripture and, and are Bible scholars in any way, shape, or form, how many pieces of silver was Jesus sold for? 20. 20 pieces of silver to sell Joseph because of his dream. 20 pieces of silver to sell Jesus because of his dream. Because of what God called him to accomplish. Everything set up by God. It's not coincidental. I, I'm like, 
I am, I am a fan of NCIS. It's one of my favorite shows on all TV. Gibbs is my man. And he has all these rules. One of these, he does not believe in coincidences. And I've kind of adopted that th philosophy as my own. I do not believe in co coincidences. I do believe in God's ordination, and I believe that things happen for a reason, that God orchestrates a lot of those things that are taking place. And he, while he may not orchestrate the challenge or the struggle that I find myself in, he orchestrates who's around me in that time of struggle. He orchestrates what happens as a result of that time or that struggle, right? And so here we have these Egyptian traders just so happened to coincidentally be rolling up on the same place where Joseph finds himself in a hole. Because after all, if Joseph's dead, then the dream that God gave him can't possibly come to pass. And so God's like, all right, I got you rolling up. Just sell them. So they sell their brother for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Here's what you have to think about. In that moment, Joseph's dreams have got to be crushed. He's thinking, I was just threatened to be killed, then I was sold as a slave, and they took me to Egypt. But here's what we have to realize about this situation. Where he was going was where God needed him to be. And how he got there was of no concern to God. All that matters is that he got there. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, the Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So if you think about this dream that Joseph had, he's thinking about this is what God showed him. And he was so excited to go see his brothers because I guarantee he still said, I'm going to love them and I'm going, to, I'm going to share with them the dream that God has given me. And I'm going to keep on talking about it and talking about it because that's, that's who he was. And so he went into this situation with, with excitement and energy. How many have ever entered into a situation or a season with excitement and energy only for that energy and that excitement to be sucked out of you? Joseph found himself in the same spot, and the proverb tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. The problem that we have is we put a timetable on this dream fulfilled piece. We think that it should look a certain way, it should take a place a certain time, and, and anything outside of that means either we have failed or, worse, God has failed us. And so we've all known some hoped-for thing not co to not come to pass. We've all experienced that. Just when it looked like it would happen, then boom, it doesn't happen. Or you get really close and then disappointment sets in. And disappointment can be a hard thing to bear. When false hope comes up multiple times, it can make us sick in our heart. It can make us struggle and stress out and struggle with this thing called faith in this life and this journey that God has us on. But one thing I want you to realize and know about this thing called life and that this journey that God has us on is it's going to always include so many different emotions and so many different challenges. But through all of them, remember this phrase, God is not safe, but he is always good. And so my plan is with each one of these challenges, Joseph faced three significant challenges, three significant letdowns that I'm going to talk about for the rest of our time together. And for, with each one of these, my hope, and my, my, my hope and my plan is that God provides you with the hope that you need to walk out this journey that he's calling you to. It was like this for Joseph. And these following verses, they record three separate times when his hopes were raised and then dreams were left in ruin. And so what happened to Joseph will not exactly necessarily happen to us, but what we will experience in life are crucial letdowns in the journey that God has us on. So there's a couple of fill-in-the-blanks on your sheet that you can track with me. And so in this journey of life, here's what's going. You're going to have shattered dreams and hard times. I, I, I wish that I could preach a different Bible to you maybe, but you will have shattered dreams and you will have hard times. I mean, James said that when you go through trials, he didn't suggest that you might. He didn't say 
It's possible, he said, when you go through hard times, when you struggle, when dreams fail, when everything around you is rocked. So the expectation is that it was going to take place. Well, let's look at verse 28 I just read from chapter 37. It says, so when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them. So there had to be a moment where Joseph felt hope because they pulled him out of the hole. And then in the moment he felt hope because he was pulled out of a hole, he probably was filled with despair again because now he was sold as a slave. He was looking at death, I'm certain with anguish in his heart, and then all of a sudden they pull him out and it was over. Then came hope in the form of these Ishmaelites. And now he has the hope of being spared because he was looking at death. So the question I have for you that I want you to kind of contemplate for a few moments is how do you view the changes in your situation but not the solutions to your situation. So how do you view something that changes in your situation, but it really isn't the solution to your situation? Do you see it as just something you dismiss? Oh, it's just that thing. It's, this isn't the solution that was, that's a part of this. So, yeah, it, it, it looked okay, but again, it's, it's not really the solution I was looking for. You know, it's the jealousy and the anger of his brothers led them to plot his murder. They were determined to destroy his dream. But God made a way for that not to happen. And some may look at the situation and say, it's still ridiculous that he went from death to slavery. How is that possible? How is that even hopeful in any way, shape, or form? Because in our way of thinking, our thought process is if we don't go from certain death to certain life, then, then it's not God. Because somehow we have come up with this idea that the only way to truly serve God or the only way that God is really working on our behalf is when we go from certain death to certain life. And anything in between means it's not God. Because after all, God is a good God. He doesn't want me to suffer. God is a good God. He doesn't want others to suffer. Or the famed question, well, if God was such a good God, why are sick people still in this world? Right? These are some of the thought processes that we have as people. And so we think, and we look going from death to slavery, well, that's not hopeful. But again, it, it literally lies in your perspective on how you view your situation. How do you perceive what's going on? I don't know about you, but the way that I'm wired, I see that I'm not dead. That's a good thing. I meet people all the time say, hey, how you doing? And they say things like, I'm here. Okay, but I'm here is better than not being here. Being alive is better than not being alive. Having breath in your lungs is better than not having breath in your lungs. I don't care what the situation is, how desperate you are, how, despair, how despaired you may be. Life, better than death. Just is. And so these traders, they took them to Egypt. Egypt is where Joseph's future was. See, here's the thing that Joseph probably didn't even know. I'm certain Joseph didn't know because Scripture says so. He did not know that when these traders were taking him to Egypt, that they were actually taking him into the place where God would fulfill his dreams. So when you think about where am I going and where is this journey leading me, no way it's going to lead me to fulfill my dreams in Egypt. I mean, after all, Egypt was definitely not the place for a young man like Joseph. Let me, let me bring that, let me back that down to a little bit more personal for me. God leading me from where I was in ministry in Texas to this small little podunk town called Mason City was definitely not a place for this man. Definitely not. But it was where God needed to lead me in order to get me to do and be where he wanted me to be. And that was actually spoken to me when I was first there. I was there like three months. I hated every minute of my three months there. I went back east for Christmas, saw my pastor. I shared this story before, so I'll say it very briefly. I sat with him. I had coffee with him, and I moaned and groaned and griped and complained for about 30 minutes. And then he said, all right, Michael. I said, are you finished? Yes, sir. Awaiting this 
revolutionary, revelationary thought from him because he was so filled with wisdom. He said, do me a favor. I said, yes, sir. Shut up. I was crushed. I was like, what are you talking about? Don't you feel my pain? He's like, I feel your whining. He said, why does everything have to look your way in order for it to be God? I had nothing to say to that. And so then after, after scolding me, wasn't really scolding. If you're listening, Pastor Mike, when you listen to this, I'm not griping. They're one of the greatest moments of my life. But after sharing this with me, he spoke to me and said, I really believe that God had to bring you there in order to take you where he ultimately wanted you to be. And so that, that, that thought rested with me for the next three years. And I'm not going to lie, it, my three and a half years in Mason City, Illinois, were probably three and a half of the greatest years of my life. Because I learned some very important things about myself, about God, about ministry, about all of it. And so I don't have time to go into all that because... I still got stuff to preach. But Egypt is where Joseph's future was. It's where his dream was going to be fulfilled. It's, it's what was going to make a blessing for him and his family and ultimately the world. See, you have to realize that in your journey and where it leads you is ultimately going to be a blessing to your family. And to your gen the generations to come should God tarry that long on this earth. So what God was working, even though, even through the hate of his brothers, he was still working. And so what if your dream is supposed to be fulfilled is not where you think or ever want it to be? I never wanted to be in Mason City. I didn't. I didn't see Peoria, Illinois on my, on my radar either. Matter of fact, when people ask me, hey, where are you from? And I tell them I'm from New York City. And then they look at me like, what are you doing in Peoria? It's an interesting conversation for the next, I can't tell it in less than 20 minutes. So it's not where I even thought that I would ever be or go, but it is where God led. And so remember, hope deferred, this is the title of my message today, hope deferred is not hope denied. A dream deferred is not a dream denied. It's not denied and it's not dead, it's just deferred. Genesis chapter 39 verse 20 said, so he took Joseph and threw him into the prison. So here's what happens. Joseph finds himself in this place. And then in, in, chapter 20, in chapter 39, verse 20, I'm just going to share the highlights of how Joseph got to some of these places. They took him and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. That word remained, where there he stayed for an undetermined period of time is what that word means. So there he was, thrown in prison. Wait a minute. So he went from death to sold to jail. Anybody tracking how this is leading to his dream? It doesn't look like it. But he had hopes. He had a hope of things improving. His brothers thought that Joseph would vanish and be forgotten in Egypt. They were mistaken. If they really wanted this dream to die, they should have killed him. Because God had another instrument ready, and his name was Potiphar. So God used the hate of his brothers to get him into the house of Potiphar, who just happened to need another household servant. Again, a coincidence that doesn't, isn't really coincidental. And, and, and was at the market when Joseph was there. Joseph was purchased by Potiphar. Bought by him, he finds himself in a palace. He went from a pit to a caravan to a prison to a palace. It's like, okay, wait a minute. Now I'm seeing it. Now I'm seeing the dream start to come to pass. And, and verse 2 of chapter 39 sums up why he had hope of things improving. Because he was purchased. And it simply says that the Lord was with Joseph. That's what verse 2 of chapter 29, 39 says. The Lord was with Joseph. What more did he need to know? God was with him. I'm gonna tell, let me tell you something, church. You don't need to know a whole lot more than to know that God is with you. Doesn't matter where you are or what you're going through, God is with you. That has a way of just bringing out about this, this strength and this courage and this ability to keep, keep moving forward. 
Matter of fact, James, Ru- James Smith said this. He said, religion is intended to make men happy, not by changing their circumstances, but by changing the disposition of their minds. That's the intent of Christianity. It's not necessarily about what you do and don't do, but it's about how you think and how you don't think. Matter of fact, what does the Bible say about that? It says we are, we, we are, we are supposed to be renewed by what? The changing of our minds. The physical body doesn't have to change. The mind has to change. It has to be renewed. So Joseph, no doubt, found himself very comfortable in his mind. After all, he would be made the overseer of the house of Potiphar. That's a big deal. This man put everything in his hands, and everything in his hands was prospering. So here's Joseph from a pit to a caravan sold as a slave to a prison, now to a palace, and then enters Potiphar's wife into the narrative. The dream is happening. By, by his account, by people looking at him, the dream is happening. Even if they don't know the dream, something's happening. And it would all come crashing down again. Falsely accused by this woman, he landed himself in prison again. We need to have a different perspective of prison, just so you know. If we have a biblical perspective of prison, it's not condemning, it's life-changing. I could go on and on about the number of things that have happened in Scripture in prison, and they far outweigh a lot of what we experience in freedom. That's a whole other message. I got we got to preach that sometime. Hey, Nate, that might be your message to preach right there, brother. Got to remember, a hope deferred, a dream deferred, is not denied. Genesis chapter forty, verse twenty-three. So Joseph's in is in prison now. Of course, God sets it up where he meets some people, and the chief cupbearer and the butler, they were, they, were, they were in prison with Joseph. And so Joseph had this knack for interpreting dreams. He had this ability to tell someone what their dream meant. That's a pretty good novelty to have in and around your life. And so he would do that in prison. And wouldn't you know it, the pit, sold, prison, palace, in charge of everything, back to the prison, made in charge of everything in prison. And so, Pharaoh's cupbearer found favor with Potiphar, and Potiphar pulled him out of prison. There had been a talk, a conversation between the cupbearer and Joseph saying, you know, don't forget about me. I think Joseph took a moment, just like the rest of us would, to try to Try to make sure to infuse my, 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 my conversation, my plan, my will into what God's trying to do. He told the cupbearer, don't forget about me. So when you're up there, don't forget that I'm down here. When you're back in the palace, don't forget I'm in the prison and, and, and speak well of me. Maybe I can get out of here, right? And so along comes this time of hope, of deliverance for Joseph. In prison, he discovers what the Lord can be to him. As in Potiphar's house, he finds that no place shuts him, sh- shuts him away from God. Before long, he rises in trust and responsibility in the prison, becoming virtually the governor of the prison. He ends up in the company of two of those servants that I told you about, and he's able to interpret their dreams. The butler restored to his position. Joseph then is filled with hope because, after all, I interpreted this guy's dream. I helped him, and now he's going to remember me, and he's going to tell Potiphar about me, and he's going to bring me back up there. Filled again with hope. But the butler forgot he existed. Genesis chapter 40, 20, verse 23. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph. Never giving him another thought, the Bible says. Filled with hope that this guy's out, maybe I'm next. Only to face disappointment again. The butler forgot he even existed. Have you ever looked to someone else for something only to be disappointed that they weren't able to deliver? Joseph had this moment where he looked to the cupbearer. I think far too many times we can look to someone else for something that only God can provide. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't seek the wisdom of others because you have to. It's biblical to seek the wisdom of others. But sometimes rather than seeking wisdom from others, we're seeking affirmation from certain people. 
And when I say certain people, I'm being nice to them, those people. Because those people probably could be called many other things other than certain people. Just going to leave it at that. You guys can read between the lines really well. You're smart folks. And so Joseph is putting hope in a person that forgot he even existed. And after two years, two full years in prison, Potiphar is desperate for an interpretation of his dream. Finally, the butler remembers Joseph. Oh, hey, there's this dude down there. He'd been down there a little while. I think I was supposed to remember him or something. But I remember him now. I think he can help you. Now remember, for, uh, a dream deferred is not a dream denied. It's just deferred. The second blank that you have there, you know, in this journey, you're going to have shattered dreams and hard times. But also in this same journey, you're going to go from hard times to fulfillment. Genesis chapter 42, I'm going to fire off four passages, uh, four sections of scripture at you really quickly. They should, I think, all be on your notes. But Genesis 42, verse 6, since Joseph was governor of all of Egypt and in charge of selling the grain to all the people. Got to remember, so he came out of the, I know I'm skipping some stuff, but he came out of the prison, interpreted Potiphar's dream. Potiphar, Potiphar restored him to position, but then gave him so much more. Because if we actually walk this out in God's plan and God's purpose and God's speed and God's way, you'll have far more than ever you ever could do on your own. There are times that we try to take the reins and we run with it and you are limited to your abilities. And for some, those abilities are high and you can accomplish a lot, but no one's abilities are anywhere near God's capability. And so that's what happens. We think we can do it in our own and we hit a lid. We hit the ceiling quickly. In order to take the ceiling off, in order to blow through the ceiling, you have to do it in God's way, God's plan. So he does this, and he's restored to the governor of all of Egypt. And listen to this. Verse 40, chapter 42, verse 6. Since Joseph was the governor of all of Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was, it was to him that his brothers came when they arrived. What does the Bible say? They bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Chapter 43, verse 26 to 28, when Joseph came home, they gave him the gifts they had brought him, then bowed low to the ground before him. Verse 27, after greeting them, he asked, how is your father, the old man you spoke about? Is he still alive? Yes, they replied, our father, your servant, is alive and well. And they bowed low again. Chapter 44, verse 14, Joseph was still in his palace when Judah and his brothers arrived, and they fell on the ground before him. Are you sensing the trend here? Are you sensing the trend between what is happening and what God gave him as a dream? Chapter 50, verse 18 through 20, the Bible says, Then his brothers came and threw themselves down before Joseph. Look, we, and they're not only bowing, but look at what they say. We are your slaves. But Joseph replied, do not be afraid of you, freed of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Can you imagine the realization of his brothers at that moment? Well, we threw this dude in a hole. We sold him. Now we are literally bowing before him, desperate for food. You've got to understand something. When God gives you a divine dream, a divine plan, there's nothing that can stop it. There's nothing. There's no situation. There's no struggle. There's no issue. There's nothing that can then stop that dream. So, but to make this happen, though, God, through his plans, brought Joseph through raised hopes and crushed hopes three different times. I would submit to you this morning that part of the reason you don't see God moving the way you want to is because you can't get past the crushed hope. You can't get past the suffering. After all, it's got to be something wrong with me. It's got to be something wrong with God. It's got to be something wrong with him or her. There's got to be a reason I'm not experiencing what I want to experience when I want to experience it. 
God had to bring him through this process and crushed hopes and dreams three different times. And as painfully disappointing as they were, it was how Joseph came to the place where he could look back and see that it was all meant for good. I mean, imagine that. Imagine experiencing everything Joseph experienced, and then in chapter 50, you tell your brothers, you meant it for evil, but God had turned around and used it and intended it for my good. That's why, God, that's why we can look at a passage of Scripture from Paul in Romans when he says God works everything for the good of those who love him and are what? Called according to his purpose. You want to see God work your bad for good? First, it starts with what we did in worship. You actually love him. Not because of what he can do for you, not because of what he, he is, not for any of those reasons except that you just love God. And if you love God, guess who knows it? Every single person around you. I mean, think about it like this. If you want your kids to know that you love them, do you put them in the room and just say, I love you, close the door and walk away? And you just hang out and do your thing over here while your kid is in his room all the time? You ain't seeing no love. Or you tell your wife, I love you. Tell your husband, I love you. But spend no time with them. Do they know that you love them? How does God know that you love him? Because you utter it every Sunday morning out of, the lips, out of your lips, but deny him on Monday? And I don't necessarily mean by your mouth, but by what we do. One of our elders brought perhaps one of the most profound things when it comes to what God expects this morning in prayer. He says it's not just about what you do, but it's how you do what you do. How do you love God? And that's a question for you to answer on your own. How do you personally love the Lord? Do you go to church? Do you serve him? Do you give? Do you love other people? Do you walk with humility? I mean, I could go on and on and on and preach this for days. But in the end, all of his disappointed hopes were fulfilled beyond what he could ever imagine. And God intends the very same for you and me. We're no different from Joseph. We're dreamers like him. He has intentions for good for us the same way he did for Joseph. And he will make that happen for you the same way he did for Joseph if you are willing to persevere the same way Joseph did. So let's make this practical real quick. So remember this. You have to hope in God. You have to hope that no matter what, from the bottom of the pit that you might find yourself in, hope still looks to him. His guiding hand is in your life, and your circumstances are actually, believe it or not, this is truth, all your circumstances are subject to his care. But you have to know that. Your times are in his hand. He will bring you through to the place where you can see all the, uh, see that everything that he's done and everything that he has ever done has led to providing for you and your family. And you might not be able to see that in the middle of it, but you will be able someday to step back and look and say, oh, wow, look at that. I will tell you, had I not gone to Mason City, Illinois, had I ignored the call of God and did my own thing or tried to put my own hand on it, let me tell you what I would have been. I would have been an awful father, not a good pastor, and a worse husband. Let me tell you why. Because when I was in Texas and I was in ministry, all I did was ministry. I didn't spend time with my kids. I didn't spend time with my wife. For three years, that's what I did, not even seeing it. Until one day, I was having dinner with my family, and my seven-year-old daughter at the time, who's now 18 in Bible college, said to me, Dad, I'm so thankful that you eat dinner with us. Crushed me, because that meant for three years, I didn't eat dinner with my family. If I had not gone through what I needed to go through, I would not have been what I am, and I am a good father to my children. I am a good husband to my wife. And I'm working on being a good pastor to this church. And I work on all three of those things all the time. But had I not gone through that, had I not experienced and gone the path that God led because I wouldn't have chosen it, I would never be who I am today. And I've not arrived. I'm not anything special. I'm still a work in progress just like every one of you. I've just learned to suffer through these things while understanding God's hand is on it. Even if I don't see it, even if I don't feel it. You got to remember our disappointments, you got to, you might, I, I put some blanks in there. This might be one of the things you want to write down. You don't have to if you don't want to, but our disappointments are his appointments. 
Let me say that our disappointments in life are his appointments. What is an appointment? It's an appointment for you to meet with him. It's a time that he's saying, hey, I'm calling you to come to me. Why don't you do me a favor and listen a little bit? In order that he might, it's his appointment to bring us to this desired place of blessing. That's his goal. You got to remember, again, everything is perspective, right? Negative places are still his places. Negative thoughts are still his thoughts. Negative people are still his people. And that's if we have a perspective that speaks that way or lives that way or believes that way, you'll start to see things change as you can't even imagine. Got to remember that he reserves the right to close doors that he wants closed and open doors he wants opened. You don't get to do that. You don't get to close the doors that you don't want to close. People, we do this, I'm closing the door on the relationships. There's some that God wants you to close. He wants you to slam them shut, bolt them, deadbolt them, lock them, barricade them. Put the dresser up against them. There, there's some that there's for sure there's some relationships God definitely wants you to do that with. And you'll know that because of the way that person impacts your life negatively. He's still God's person. Mm. I, know, I know we don't like that. It's like, it's, it's, I, hate to, I hate to keep beating a dead horse with this, but I'm, I really want to drive this idea of perspective home, and I've got just a couple more minutes to do it. Be thankful for everything in your life that has not happened. <laughs> I'm thankful that I'm still alive when I could be dead more times than I can count. I'm thankful that I'm a father, a good father, when I could have not been one. I've had a, I've had a few views of fathers out there and running around my life that were not quite the way I would want to father. I'm thankful for things that have not happened, the same I am thankful for things that have happened. And while some things that have ha- would have happened, if you, you could probably think about a thing or two in your life that you wish would have happened, and while they may have gratified your desires for a little while, you still might have missed God's best. You cannot settle just for something that gratifies you temporarily. Because God's, bless, God's best will gratify you eternally. Those are the things that matter, church. So how do we make this practical? Really simple. One, one major thought and then two ways inside that thought and we'll be done. Worship team, you can actually come and get set because I'm done. That's my Pentecostal done. I'm not 20 minutes left. I'm, I just got a couple, though. We have to resist the temptation to become cynical. What's that even mean? We have to resist the temptation to look at every single situation with doubt in our mind and in our heart. That's what happens when we go through life, and that's what happens when we're faced with dreams and, and, and hopes that are crushed and then lift, lifted and crushed and lifted up and crushed and lifted up. We become cynical. We begin to doubt every little thing that happens in and around us. And so considering what happened to Joseph and the wonderful way all things led to God ex, God's expected end. See, remember, God has an expected end. And looking at his story and seeing how everything led to his expected end, you can grab a hold of a passage of scripture like Jeremiah chapter 29, verse number 11, when he says, Behold, the plans I have for you are for good and not for evil. They're plans for prosperity. They're plans for, for hope and for good things to happen. You can grab that passage of scripture and you can actually see it proven factual just by the way he responded to Joseph. It helps us have this renewed confidence in God. And how do, we, how do we have this renewed confidence in God? Through understanding. What do you have to understand? Great question. I'm glad you asked it today. You have to understand two things. And that's it. Two things of understanding that will set your life free. That will cause every dream that God has for you to come to pass and be fulfilled in his way is number one Psalm 1830 God's way is perfect 
all the Lord's promises prove true. Understand that his ways are perfect. They're not better than ours. They're not higher than ours. They're not anything. They are perfect. Every single thing about him, perfect. Number two, not only are his ways perfect, but he makes our way perfect. Psalm 18:32, God arms me with strength and he makes my way perfect. Now let me help you understand something here before you make it your own words. My way means my journey. Perfect means in his eyes and in his sight. Not your preference. He's not talking about your preference will be made my way. Because you know there are, you have your own way of doing things. And your own way of doing things are just simply that, your way. Not necessarily the right way. Not necessarily the, certainly not the only way. That's a whole nother message I could preach because I learned that one. But he makes our way, our journey with him perfect in his sight. Does that mean everything around you is going to be perfect? Not even close. Joseph found himself left for dead, sold as a slave, imprisoned, in the palace, imprisoned, governor of the nation. I would say that it lacked a lot of human perspective of perfection. But in God's way, in God's plan, in God's process, in his journey, perfect. If you could just understand those two simple things. His ways are perfect, and he makes your way perfect. And there's nothing that will come against you. There's nothing that will... No, no, no struggle, no trial, no issue, no challenge, no nothing will stand between you and what God has planned for your life. A dream deferred is not dead. It's not denied. It's just deferred. So I don't know what it is this morning that you've dreamt of or what it is this morning that God has spoken into your heart, whether it was as a child, as a teenager, as an adult, as an older adult. I don't know what it is that you are dealing with and what it is that is so pressing that you want to accomplish, but understand every step in this journey, every way that you are traveling will be made perfect. It's an interesting correlation, and I'm going to close with this thought. I've preached this many times. I believe it as as theological. There's this moment that takes place in our hearts and our lives when God saves us, brings us to the, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And in that moment, our eternity is stamped and sealed. The Holy Spirit fills us, and now we are eternally with God. It's a moment that takes place in our life. You've been saved. You're now living in the second moment where you are being saved. Every day he is perfecting your way. Every day he is working on you. Every day he's fixing your perspective. He's working on your mind. He's working on your will. He's working on your emotions. He's working on your, and everything. He's working all these things out. That's a process, your journey being saved. What's the point of it all? Because one day, you will be saved. I have been saved in that moment. I am being saved because I have breath in my lungs because the one day is going to come where I have been saved. Meaning I will have been made perfect. My way will be made perfect. For all of you perfectionists in the room, I got hope for you this morning. You will be perfect one day. It just will not be while your two feet are on this earth. 